This is the Deep Dive with Brooke Spector. Investigative conversations about issues that impact our lives. Be curious. Friday mornings at 9 a.m. Only on 101.9 High FM. Good morning. It is indeed Brooke Spector and we are here with a Deep Dive. And the idea behind this program is to give people, to give you, the listeners, a chance to hear more than just a quick couple of sound bites from somebody who knows something about a topic that is of interest. And in this case, we're going to talk about the topic that I think almost everybody is interested in, the state of the South African economy, the circumstances of its uh, difficulties and the possibilities of its growth. And I could barely think of anybody who would be better for this than one of my fellow contributors with the Daily Maverick, uh, Ed Stoddard. Uh, Ed um, writes about business and economics in a way which is not filled with jargon. In fact, it's almost the antithesis of jargon. It's we understand you're you're, you're interested and we understand you are uh, thoughtful but you may not have all the code words. And so I'm going to decode it all for you. And his, his columns, as a result, are interesting to read. They're sometimes even fun to read. And they're about that dismal science. And so even, even so, they're still fun. And I learn something each time I read one of his columns. And Ed, thank you for joining us this morning. Oh, no, thank you, uh, Brooks. And good morning to the listeners. And uh, thank you for the very complimentary introduction. Oh, I don't know. I, I should mention that you hear an accent which is not quite South African, just like mine is not. Ed, I think, is originally from Nova Scotia in Canada, but he has ended up in South Africa like various of us for all kinds of reasons. And yeah. he's not going to be too upset if I say, by the way, he's a champion fisherman, a fly fisherman, too. So just to round out his picture. Let me, you wrote a column the other day, uh, which took the the recent investment conference organized by uh, President yeah. Sorry, I had a bit of a, a bit of a frog or a toad got stuck in my throat there for just half a second. And the the, the focus of your conference of your column on the conference really was to dissect the idea, the results, and the outcomes, so that we know what we are looking at beyond the flash and beyond the press release and beyond the idea that everything had worked out just fine and we were on target to achieve what we needed. Shush. That is a cat, by the way, for those of you who are wondering. We're broadcasting from home. And perhaps you can start by summarizing the way in which you tackled the investment conference. Thanks. Okay. Well, well the investment conference was... It was the, the fourth one. The, they, they started in 2018. Uh, President, uh, not, uh, President Cyril Ramaphosa at that time had set a target of, of, of attracting about um, $100 billion in investment over a period of, of five years into the South African economy. So, and, and, and the whole point is to sell South Africa as an investment destination. And as, as the finance minister told my colleague uh, Ray and I on the sidelines of the conference, he admitted himself that 
South Africa was a tough sell as an investment destination. And, you know, when your finance minister says that, then you know that you are a tough sell. And the thing is, is that South Africa, I mean, if I play devil's advocate for a second, I mean, South Africa ostensibly does have a lot going for it. Um, it's, I mean, it's, there are reasons why people like myself and Brooks, why, why we um, still live here. For example, there's, there's, there's a lot of things that are appealing about this country, but for investors who are trying, who want to, you know, deploy their capital in a way in which they will get a return, South Africa really has a difficult time in, in, in this current environment selling itself. So one of the, so part of the problem is, again, is, is infrastructure. And part of the problem deal, is dealing with just state failure on, on a range of levels. So, for example, uh, there's inadequate policing. So, for example, Rio Tinto last year temporarily suspended its operation, its mining operations at Richard Bay Minerals. Well, basically because its general manager was assassinated, and it was being shaken down by her procurement mafia. So that's that's a clear example of state failure. The the police simply were not doing their job. And for a company like Rio Tinto. You have to remember, so the, 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 they're, sitting, they're sitting in their boardroom in Australia and they're being told that, well, there's a Sopranos kind of shakedown going down in South Africa. But, you, you know, investors can get their head around all kinds of risk in emerging markets, but a Sopranos style shakedown is just beyond the pale. So, you, so you've got that example. And then, of course, we, we, we also know that, well, ESCOM, obviously, it's a classic example too, right? So if you're asking people to invest in your country, who's going to build a large factory or who's going to build a, a, like a, a smelter, for example, which is incredibly power intensive and would be in line with the government's vision of reindustrialization. But you, you simply can't make that kind of commitment when there is no stable, reliable, and relatively cheap power supply. So, and then you also look at, at roads and rails, for example. So, so commodity prices have been red hot for a range of reasons, including the commodities that are mined in, in South Africa and exported from here. And, um, but the mining companies, especially the iron ore and coal companies have flagged the fact that even though they've, they've been making huge profits, they would have made significantly more profits if it wasn't for the for Transnet's woes. They, they cannot get enough of their product to the port. So we uh, so that these are constraints and, and bottlenecks. Um, but especially the whole thing about the social unrest. Um, this is deeply concerning to investors. We we saw what happened with the July riots last year. That caused tens of billions of rands worth of damage. Uh, to mostly the retail sector. But, you know, when you talk about retail, companies like Walmart have invested here. Now, would uh, a, a large uh, outside retailer want to invest here if, if they thought there was going to be a prospect that their warehouses and shops would get burnt down and looted? And, and so you also have a vicious cycle where you have very high, a very high unemployment, right? We know that it's over 35% based on an expanded definition. It's over 46%. It's, so it's probably close to 50% effectively. 
<laughs> where the World Bank has recently dubbed South Africa once again the world's most unequal economy. When you have this much unemployment, such glaring in disparities of income and wealth, and on top of that, obviously growing poverty levels. I mean, for crying out loud, children are starving to death in the Eastern Cape now. This kind of stuff feeds in fans of flames of social unrest, and it becomes a bit of a, of a vicious cycle. Because if well, it was, it, yeah. Sorry, and, and, and it's a vicious cycle that's a deterrent to, to investment and is a deterrent to business confidence. Is this the fault of the media or is this the fault of the actual structures uh, or is there enough blame to go around? There's, <laughs> well, you know what? There's probably enough blame to go, go, go around. But, uh, you know, obviously the, the, the state itself is, is, is clearly uh, failing, I, I think, on a range of fronts. And it's interesting because there are CEOs now who, who, who say that. And 10 years ago, I would not, not have heard a single CEO mention the term state failure. And now you have people such as Neil Froneman, who's the CEO of Savonia Stillwater. He's actually saying we're on the road to state failure. And his company is making tons of money from its PGM, from its Platinum Group Metals operations here in South Africa. But their main investments are, their investment strategy is abroad. And it's looking now at the battery metals space and things like that to plug into the EV revolution. But it's not, you know, the capital it's deploying here, it's just to keep operations running. You know, I mean, they're doing, okay, they're doing some some expansion to Maricana, for example, which is interesting in its own right. But but generally, it's deploying its capital offshore. Um, Anglo Gold Ashanti, you know, it's got a corporate headquarters in the CBD. It has a, a JSC primary listing, but it has no operational assets in South Africa whatsoever anymore. And, and I'm going to take a very quick break for a second and, and help pay the bills. And then we'll be right back with you. And let me dial up my magic machine here with ads that I am supposed to read to make everybody happy. Okay. This is the Deep Dive with Brooke Spector. And we are back live with Ed Stoddard, uh, contributor, uh, writer on economics and business, the man who helps us decode the, in, the incomprehensible and defend the inexplicable. Uh, or is it to... Well, maybe maybe he doesn't maybe he doesn't defend them. Maybe he simply explains them and, and then gives us the bad news. Um, I, I want to turn your attention, Ed, if I might. You you mentioned the word unemployment, the 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 magic scary word that we try to keep locked away in the closet. But as you correctly point out, if you take the expanded definition, we're bumping into half of the potentially productive adult workforce is without a job. Now, they're getting, many of them, uh, emergency relief grants or uh, social assistance grants, but none of those payments are sufficient to bring people out of the edges of raw poverty and into even the working class or let alone the, the, the middle class. What I don't see, and maybe you can explain it, in the budget itself that came out recently, or government policies that have been announced over the last number of months, 
What I don't see are major efforts to re-educate or educate those who are unemployed and figure out ways to make the economy generate productive employment. Notice I didn't say government employment. Because productive employment. Exactly. So I guess, I mean, I guess so what business would argue, and I'm not saying I I always take businesses side, but just they they would say that they need enabling policies um, to, 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 again, to make investments and and, and to make the decision to to hire people in in the first place. So they would, so business would argue that there, that there's still too much red tape for example, um, and that there's still too much policy uncertainty. So, you know, there's still debates around um, uh, expropriation without compensation. That raises questions around property rights, and, and, and that really sets off alarm bells with investors. And there's also, so, so in, in the mining industry, the, there's debates around something called once empowered, always empowered. But it basically means that the mining company... Uh, the, the requirement was that they'd be 26% black owned and, 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 and that's going to be moved to 30%. But the, what the mining industry has maintained is that if they're share, so if they're black shareholders, sell, so if they're at 27% and the black, some black shareholders sell, so they drop down to 22%, that once they're empowered, they're always empowered. They don't have to top it back up. Because often it means that the companies themselves just have to issue the shares and it's a cost to the company. Whereas the DMRE has been insisting that they have to keep that in perpetuity. And that's simply not going to work. So there's back and forth now. So, you know, a court has found in favor of the mining industry or the Minerals Council, which represents most of the mining companies here. But the DMRE is saying that, you know, that they may try to enact laws now around this uh, to, to, to codify it. And so all this back and forth means that, uh, and, and changing of goalposts and things like that, means that investors are often dazed and confused. And so they don't want to deploy capital, so they don't want to hire people. So one of the things about the whole unemployment thing right now is that, so the economy last year expanded 4.9% after contracting 6.4% in 2020, but, you know, because of the lockdowns related to the pandemic and, and how that affected not just South Africa, but obviously the global economy. So now, so we're not back to pre-pandemic uh, levels of output uh, yet. Um, but the thing is, even that while the economy expanded so much last year, the unemployment rate was rising. So that shows that it's been a, a, a jobless recovery I mean, this is one of the, the other kind of very kind of frightening scenarios as well, is that you can have economic growth, but it, it doesn't always generate jobs. And, and, and the thing is, but, but the kind of catch 22 here, I guess if that's the right term, is that you, it's hard to see how you create jobs without economic growth. But obviously right now, a lot of employers don't have the confidence to hire. And also partly that that 4.9% expansion last year was also partly because of uh, higher commodity prices and things like that. We know that in lots of other uh, labor intensive sectors like the restaurant sector, hotel sector, and things like that, a lot of small businesses went under and have, and have, when I say went under, 
uh, under lockdown just just never came back to life. I know, you know, there's a place called the Altona Lodge where I always would stay when I go down to Cape Town. It's in Greenpoint. I quite like the place, blah, blah, blah. You know, the, they closed and I was speaking to the owner the other day because I'm going to Cape Town in May. And he said, no, and he said, we just haven't reopened. I'm immigrating to Britain now. So, so lots of those jobs are just not coming back. And, and what's quite frightening right now about the high unemployment rate as well is that inflationary pressures are building. And Brooks, you and I are both old enough to recall when stagflation was a thing in the 1970s. And well, we if you look at an unemployment rate of 35% and an economy that's really barely growing, if in consumer inflation, which is 5.7% right now, if it got to double digits, let's say, and I don't think that's completely implausible, then I think we would have a stagflationary environment here. And then that because, because inf inflation is not being driven by domestic demand, it's being driven by um, outside uh, forces, um, shipping costs, oil costs, and um, food prices, basically. Um, so just for your readers, a, a stag sorry, for your listeners, stagflation is when you have uh, high unemployment and high inflation at, at the same time. Um, and generally, classical economic theory, you, you, should, you, you should have the opposite. And, but when the two collide, it's obviously very difficult. And the thing is, inflation is going to take its, its, um, um, its greatest toll on the poor, on the, uh, uh, on the swelling ranks of the poor, and is also going to feed into social and political unrest. Let, let me, before you have to, I know you have to go soon, but before I let you, let you leave, if I infer from what you said is that you don't see, at this point at least, government programs that are specifically geared toward generating uh, the kind of enthusiasm for growth that leads to more employment. But at the same time, the government continues in various ways, shapes, and forms to discuss or uh, attempt to think about implementing an all-encompassing national health initiative. And there is at least growing pressure for a national basic income grant, which would be funded somehow from presumably taxation. Uh, from, from the productive sectors of the economy. Yeah, so no. a basic income grant is, is Look, I mean, I think right now the national treasury is basically saying that they can't afford it. Um, but, you know, that's I, I think there's room for debate around that issue. Um, NHI, I just I mean, the, this government is, is, is the state right now is quite incapable. So I don't know how the state would actually get NHI off the ground. And of course, there would be all kinds of concerns around corruption and graft and, and, and things like that, which would be perfectly understandable from everything else that we've seen from, frankly, from the ANC-run government in the past few years. Last question for you. Um, we, we've sort of nibbled at this a bit, all these uh, exogenous forces that are affecting the, the economy in various ways. And the one we haven't talked about is that there's a giant elephant in the room right now, of course, and that's a war in, in Ukraine, uh, which is having enormous impacts on 
everything from transportation costs to uh, oil prices to, to fluctuations in demand to general global uncertainty about growth possibilities. Yeah, exactly. So, so the whole thing about, about, about Russia, Ukraine is, so for one thing, it's, 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 it's hitting global growth, which means that the, the global economy is growing at a slower rate than it would have otherwise. And at the same time, it's it's banning inflation because, uh, you know, Russia, of course, is a major hydrocarbon producer and exporter. And both Russia and Ukraine are, are major grain uh, producers and exporters. So, so this one-two combination is, is also ultimately going to be bad for the South African economy. Um, the, 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 the one... Bright side for the South African economy, of course, is that Russia is also a, a, a major um, metals and commodities producer, and 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 so many of the um, metals and commodities that South Africa produces, PGMs, gold, uh, iron ore, coal, those prices, which were already elevated, um, have remained on the boil, uh, and partly because of the conflict. And among other things, this helps with South Africa's terms of trade, because while we're, we're paying much more for oil, we're, South Africa is also getting more money for the, for the metals and minerals that, 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 that it's exporting. So that's the silver lining, as it were, for the South African economy from, from this you know, uh, terribly unnecessary conflict, terribly unnecessary conflict. Just for, just for listeners who didn't catch that reference to PGM, Platinum Group Metals, I think it, it is. I mean, people like you yes. and me, I mean, we, we, tend to, we tend to fall back on acronyms, but uh, some people are scratching their heads right about now. Right, that's right. Platinum Group Metals. And, and the ones that are really red hot right now, because they're catalysts for petrol engines, are Palladium. I mean, Palladium's off its recent highs, but it's still quite high by um, historical standards. And the other one is Rhodium which last year at one point was fetching $30,000 an ounce, making it the most uh, precious precious metal in history. And among other things, that apparently uh, sparked a, a surge in auto theft in the US. People were stealing, auto, were trying to steal the catalysts in autos to get the rhodium. I guess I should go out in the garden and look to see if there's any... Uh... <laughs> any rhodium in my backyard yes indeed <laughs> I, I think it's probably been prospected over by now but nevertheless anyway ed thank you very much i know you have other time commitments in your day and uh, uh, ed stoddard is a uh, contributing writer to the daily mavericks uh, business maverick section where he takes the inexplicable and turns them into comprehensible di- digestible bites if I, if I do the to you one more time, he's also a very proud, skillful fly fisherman. Uh, and we are all in envy of his ability to harvest that natural resource. Uh, I would say more enthusiastic. Anyway, that's fine. Okay. Cool. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Thanks, guys.